Live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's a Wednesday in Sin City. I'm Teddy Covers at Teddy underscore Covers on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ralph Michaels at Cal Sports LV. And we have a loaded show for you today. Welcome to all of you watching on the Sports Grid TV network. Welcome to Zumo viewers on channel 719. This is your Sports Central for betters. Let's get right into it. Bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books, and hot topics from last night. We'll talk a little baseball at the top of the show, Ralph. MLB chalk, 9-6 and six last night. The favorites were cashing. The big dogs weren't barking, but there were a handful of big dogs that cashed in. The Phillies beat the Braves. The Nats beat the Cardinals. The Reds beat the Cubs. The Marlins beat the D-backs. San Fran beat Boston. And Seattle beat a Pirates team that was reeling following the allegations and arrest of one of their players in an ugly-looking situation. Decent night for chalk players in MLB, but Ralph, not a great one when you talk about the dogs cashing in like the Phillies, Nats, Reds, Marlins, uh, Giants, and Mariners. Well, if you look at the games as a whole on the 15 games, the average line was minus 201.6. So if you blindly played every favorite last night, yes, you went nine and six, but you lost 0.3 units, basically a break-even evening. You know, what we're seeing is these must-win teams or these teams that are on a run, you're you're certainly paying an inflated price. You know, let's talk about Cole tonight being a 500 favorite, same situation. Yeah, and there's a lot of in must-win situations in MLB that most assuredly affect the betting marketplace more than any other time. That'll happen here at the latter stages of the season when it comes to must-wins. And you'll see it again week 15, 16, 17 in the NFL. You'll see it the last couple of weeks of the NBA season. But when you price mediocre teams like their must-win teams, you know, oftentimes get a little bit of overlay uh, towards the underdog. Overlay means that the markets aren't giving you an appropriate price for the two teams at hand. And there's no question, Ralph, no question at all, at this stage of the season, there's a tax being added to any of these must-win teams that are fighting for playoff positioning. And it is intense races for the wildcard spots in both leagues. Well, absolutely. You know, at this time of the year, we have so many opportunities that these are rematches, even pitching rematches. But you know what? Uh, something new betters can do Take a look back to see the last two times these teams played and see what the line was. And just because a team is a must-win situation, did one team really get that much better or did the other team really get that much worse? So let me ask you about your philosophy and strategy about the end of the MLB season. Do you get involved a lot the last couple of weeks or is this a spot? I mean, for me, like week 17 in the NFL, I do very little. If I find one or two good bets, I'm happy. It's the same story for me down the stretch of the MLB campaign. This is not a time where I am peppering the board with wagers. What about yourself? You know, I'm a pretty limited baseball handicapper anyway. I may find a few plays a week. Once it gets to football, I I just say this. Listen, football is a better sport. I am not an expert in baseball. I think I'm a decent handicapper in baseball. When it gets to September, I basically just look past it. However... When we do get to the playoffs, I am very interested 
and become a significant handicapper and better at that point again. Well, there was one impact injury in MLB yesterday, and it came on the celebration of a strikeout. The Yankees, Ace Reliever, first game back, being out all year, but Tonsis tears his ACL. Impact injury, even for a team that is loaded with bullpen debt. Yeah, again, you know, when you get to the playoffs, you're talking about pitching three starters and needing the bullpen. Uh, you know, when they face Houston, which, you know, I'm making the assumption it's going to be the Yankees in Houston. But, you know, you're talking about needing all that depth against that lineup. So uh, fluke injury. And, you know, what should we say? You shouldn't celebrate a strikeout. Yeah, I mean, he came back first time uh, that he pitched all season, faced two batters, struck him out, celebrated and tore his ACL. That's a tough injury. Another tough injury for the Patriots. And this one. Maybe not getting the publicity that it deserves. Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle, the guy who protects Tom Brady's blind side. Patriots loaded with receivers now, but their left tackle just went on IR. Isaiah Wynn's going to be out for at least the next eight weeks. Yeah, you know, you look at Joe Staley for, for the 49ers being out, and it seems like he's the only left tackle people know about missing. I agree with you. Significant injury. Uh, we'll have to see how they how how they rebound and who fills in that slot the next few weeks. Sure. And of course, the Patriots were already, in my mind, an under team prior to the injury. I love that defense. I love their running game. When you're talk, talking about your left tackle getting hurt, now maybe New England becomes even more of an under team. Uh, moving forward, uh, obviously a team that will not be able to take the deep shots down the field that we thought that they might. Might. So the Saints have uh, made the decision to not name a starting quarterback with Drew Brees hurt. It may be Bridgewater. It may be Hill. It's likely to be both. Good move or bad move by Sean Payton? I think it's a bad move. And I, I'm hoping this isn't because of the reaction to the fans in New Orleans. You know, I do a weekly show down there, and Hill is by far the fan favorite. He gets applause every time he comes into a preseason game. Bridgewater was getting booed in the preseason. To me, even though Bridgewater didn't look good, I think he's the more experienced quarterback who can lead them in a proper fashion. But I'll tell you what, I'm not sure how the players feel. I can tell you the fans certainly are Taysom Hill fans. Yeah, I think that both guys are likely to get playing time, but Saints 0-2 ATS, they've been shuttling QBs in and out, and I really thought when Hill was coming in for a play or two in the opener against Houston and Breeze was coming out, that's a big part of the reason why that offense was shut down in the first half. In the second half, they didn't do that, and Breeze marched him up and down the field. This is not the same team without Drew Breeze in the lineup. Bridgewater, Hill, doesn't matter in my opinion. These are two quarterbacks not as good as the guy they're going to have to replace when we come back here on wager talk we'll be talking line movers where's the money going and why is it going there stay tuned we'll be right back after these brief messages hey 
Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Wager Talk. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels breaking everything down for you on a Wednesday. And Ralph, before we get into line movers, I want to go with some TNA right here. Trends and angles. And you, sir, have uncovered a nice little trend worth talking about when it comes to college football in one of the marquee games this weekend. That's Notre Dame and Georgia. And the top-tier teams that are big dogs have not done well in previous matchups like this one. What do you got for us, Ralph? TNA. Yeah, I look back to 2007, and when you have two top nine teams, and one of them is a double-digit dog, that's where I started, and I was surprised that the favorite had did so well. Well, when I tightened a few parameters, if there's two AP top nine teams, and one of them is a favorite of 12 and a half or more, like Georgia is this week against Notre Dame, they have gone 13 and two against the spread. The only losses, I think, Bama against Oklahoma, and the only straight-up loss was Ohio State against Michigan State a few years ago. Teddy, much like you, we talked about yesterday when we went through your NFL power rankings, New England was that much better than everybody else. The same holds true here, I believe, where the top three or four teams, especially the top three with Bama, Clemson, and Georgia, are that much better than everybody else as well. Yeah, it sure feels that way this year in college football, where the top squads are that much better than even other top 10 squads. One and two are clearly there, Alabama and Clemson. We'll find out if Georgia deserves to be in that group later this weekend. Of course, we'll preview that game in full later in the show. Let's talk about some of the line movers. We'll start in the NFL. And look, sharp money was all over Detroit in week one. Didn't cash. Sharp money was all over Detroit in week two. Did cash. Lo and behold, we're seeing the wise guys pounding the Lions again. The Eagles with cluster injuries at wide receiver. But I think this is more than just betting on the Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson being hurt. This is legitimate wise guy support the Detroit Lions on the defensive side of the football with their defensive-minded head coach, Matt Patricia. Yeah, and again, you know, you now have a second-year head coach who has his systems in play. Uh, it certainly helps the personnel to now know the language. You're not playing how a play is supposed to be written up. You're now reacting naturally because you know the play so well. But again, you know, let's remember he was playing Kyler Murray and a historically bad Arizona team week one. And the second half, they gave up a lot of yards. That was because of a prevent defense. And he still allowed the Chargers 424 yards. So, uh, you know, while I think it's the right line move because Philly's injuries, I'm certainly not buying in that Detroit is an elite team or even an upper level team at this point. No, I don't know the markets are either, but they're saying that the Eagles shouldn't be laying a touchdown given their wide receiver injuries coming off that a bad loss. I don't call it a bad loss, but uh, a bad offensive loss, poorly played offensive game 
in Atlanta on Sunday night. Speaking of Atlanta, the Falcons are getting bet. The markets, and this is one that surprised me. I thought this line might go up to three. Instead, it's coming the other way. Indy down to minus one and a half, minus two. Atlanta getting the early week wise guy money. Well, I agree with the line move, but looking at it a little closer, uh, you know, you look at you look at Matt Ryan, and you know he's going to be a pocket passer. I think they have the edge, having played in a dome already, Minnesota on the road, being a dome team now playing in a, in a second dome. But you have to pay attention to what the Colts did on the D line. Four sacks in each of their first two games is an impressive feat when you did it on the road each of those two times. Impact injury for Indianapolis. Their Pro Bowl linebacker, Darius Leonard, he had 18 tackles last week. He's in concussion protocol right now. If he does not play, that is an impact injury that is not likely to be properly reflected in the betting marketplace. Watch the status uh, of uh, the Colts' stud linebacker. So here's the question. Is it Vikings love or is it Raiders hate? Either way, Minnesota now minus 8.5, even minus 9s popping up. The Vikings taking early week money against Oakland. And I know the markets always hate the West Coast teams traveling east for the early start games. I know the markets aren't excited about the Raiders to begin with. I know the markets like Minnesota as a uh, home favorite. They've been very, very good uh, playing at home under Zimmer. They've been the best point spread team in the NFL at home in the Zimmer era. All of these factors, or is it something more than that that's driving this Minnesota money early in the week? I think it's just plain and simple. Like you said, the Minnesota Vikings have been the elite team at home as a favorite. In fact, going back to November of 2014, they are now 22-6-3 against the spread as an away favorite. As you and I mentioned, the Raiders, to me, actually played well against Kansas City. They had one quarter where Mahomes made ungodly completions. I mean, he, he dropped the ball on a dime. But to me, the Raiders are are exceeding my expectations for him. I just think it's Minnesota at home and getting Derek Carr in a dome where that D where that D line can potentially cause him some havoc. Sure. And again, when we're talking about injuries, we need to talk about what's happened to Oakland's secondary. At least part of the reason why they got annihilated by the Chiefs in that second quarter was due to those injuries uh, on the back seven defensively. It's not a great situation for the Raiders injury-wise on their defense uh, moving forward to this week. So this is an interesting one to talk about. The San Francisco 49ers, the initial money came on San Fran. They got bet up to minus seven off the opener. And as soon as it hit seven, boom, <laughs> market said, nah, 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 nah. <laughs> give me some Pittsburgh. The sevens are gone. And now we're seeing six and a half, even some sixes popping up. Nothing but Steelers money. The 0-2, uh, well, uh, Steelers against the 2-0 and Niners, and the markets oftentimes look to support the desperate 0-2 team as opposed to the fat and happy 2-0 and team, even when the 2-0 and team is better than the 0-2 team, like I think the Niners are better than this year's Steelers. Money for Pittsburgh after the initial San Fran money. What's your take, 49ers and Steelers? Well, San Fran has to prove they can do it at home as a home favorite. Historically, they've been a half bad home favorite. But, you know, I, I like the San Francisco team. I played them early. I played them to make the playoffs. I played them on their over for their win totals. Uh, but I'm not going to step in and and play against Pittsburgh. I am a believer in, in the injury system. Your quarterback goes out. 
The team tends to rally around you. The other team, yes, he's making his first start, but the other team doesn't have film on Mason Rudolph. Listen, Mason Rudolph was a quarterback they've loved in camp. So uh, I am not afraid to play against Mason Rudolph down the road, but I think the Steeler team is veteran enough that uh, it's going to be a close. It's going to be a close game. Yeah, I cashed a ticket on the 49ers in Week One. I cashed a ticket on the 49ers in Week Two. I have no intention of laying six and a half points with the 49ers in Week Three. So I can certainly understand why the markets are doing what they're doing. We've seen the two and a halfs disappear. Money for the LA Rams now. LA a firm three at Cleveland, just about everywhere. Even a couple spots, you have to lay juice with LA at minus three. What are the markets seeing that's giving all of the Rams support early in the week? Well, I don't think they're seeing anything. You and I talked about this, Teddy. I'm going to throw this back to you. My line was three. It's now where I expect it to be. We talked on the show previously, and you told me your numbers had the Browns favored. So you tell me. Well, <laughs> well, the whole point is the money's coming against where I thought it would come uh, on this one. I, I think that we saw the Browns, they lost week one, and the offense didn't look great against the Jets on Monday Night Football. And it's a short week. I understand all of this stuff where, well, we haven't seen Cleveland put it together yet. And L.A., in theory, put it together last week. You look at the Rams offensively right now, I think there are some issues. Uh, and we saw them take advantage of a Saints team that was playing without their starting quarterback. And remember, if it wasn't for a whistle in that game, an inadvertent whistle <laughs> uh, that Saints fans are still bitching about, uh, New Orleans would have been leading you know, in the second half of that contest. And you look at the final score, 27-9. Oh, it was all L.A. No, it wasn't. That game was a sweat for most of the contest. Tons more here on Wager Talk today. We have big game breakdowns coming up next. Ralph and I are going to talk college football. We're going to talk NFL. And then we're going to talk what you should be reading that has nothing to do with sports. When you look for patterns, you'll find them. And when you look for Wager Talk, you'll find it right here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these brief messages. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Welcome back to Wager Talk. Teddy Covers here. We're joined by Ralph Michaels in just a moment. He's having some technical difficulties, so I'm going to handle it for the time being, and that means we're going to get into big game breakdowns. And look, let me make this very clear. This is not a pick show. We're going to give you opinions. We're going to give you information. We're going to give you as much as we can possibly give you to get you ready for the upcoming weekend, night, day, whatever it is in sports. When it comes to a pick for every game we're going to talk about, no. Ralph and I will give you all the opinions that we have, but there are plenty of games, like the first one I'm going to talk about, where I don't have a strong opinion. I'm not going to bet the game, but I know many of you are. So I'll give you my takes. Ralph will give you his takes. And hopefully, the information that you get from this show on a day-in, day-out basis. We don't call ourselves Sports Central for Gamblers for nothing. This is a show where every day, if you spend an hour with us, you're going to come out at the end of the show 
say, yeah, I learned something. I gained some knowledge. That's what we're trying to do. Michigan State minus nine, total of 40 at Northwestern. And look, for trend players can only go one way in this game. All right. Sparty has been horrible as road favorites. Three and 10, their last 13 tries. They've been horrible as favorites in general. We saw what happened when they tried to lay double digits at home last week against Arizona State, a game they lost straight up. In three games this year, Sparty's offense hasn't really worked in two of them. Uh, And they're still laying nine points to a Northwestern team that has been, if not the best underdog in college football, certainly one of them. What are they, 15-4-1 their last 20 tries against the number, catching points. And that includes the bad beat week one at Stanford, in which Northwestern was a right side but didn't get the money. All that being said, Ralph, I cannot fathom how the Wildcats are going to move the football uh, this week. I'm not impressed uh, with the quarterback, Hunter Johnson, at all. The backup, the starters now hurt uh, for Northwestern, and this offense hasn't looked good at all. They're facing an elite defense and a mad team after blowing the game last week against the Sun Devils. Michigan State minus nine. What's your take? Well, you know, the first thing is you look at where the total is. And, you know, you have a total of 30, 39. And uh, you would think, is that too low to bet the under? Well, you know, actually over 60% of the totals of 40 or less have gone under the total. So uh, when you have those low totals, don't be afraid to actually play the under. Uh, you know, I agree with you. I, I am, I, but I, you know, I don't agree with you on the point of Northwestern can't move the ball. I think they only need to score 10 points to be in this game. When you're getting nine, this game could even go to double digits with all the love Michigan State is getting. I just can't fathom the way Michigan State plays offense. Northwestern plays excellent red zone defense. Yes, Hunter Johnson hasn't looked good, but he now has another game under his belt. He has a start under his belt. So with Michigan State's offense, being so inept getting into the red zone, I think the dog's the only way to go. So we're going to butt heads a little bit on this one, Teddy, but neither is a strong, neither side is a strong play for either either one of us. Well, let's see if we can butt heads on the next one as well. All marquee matchups we're going to talk about today in college football. And of course, early start on Saturday. This is one of the biggest ones. Wisconsin minus three and a half, total of 43 against Michigan. The Badgers are in revenge. They got annihilated in the big house last year. Was that 38 to 13? I don't think it was that close. Uh, But certainly, when you're talking about two teams that had disparate starts, Wisconsin dominated each of their first two foes. Michigan didn't. Michigan, you know, in a life and death battle with Army to win, didn't dominate Middle Tennessee. There certainly wasn't 110 to nothing like Wisconsin's played so far this season. But what that has done, the 110 to nothing for Wisconsin. It's moved this point spread. The look ahead line all summer on this game. Could have bet it right up until the end of August. Michigan minus seven and a half at Camp Randall. Now it's Wisconsin minus three and a half. In my mind, that's too big of an overreaction. I could only look at the Wolverines in this point spread range. I can't agree with you more. The eye test to me says Wisconsin's very good. You have the best running back. I was concerned about an O-line that had to replace over 150 career starts, but they've done the job. They're an O-line factory. They know how to do that. But I I still have to go and give Michigan some credit and say, 
you know, they talked about their new offense with Shea Patterson and they tweaked it and they're going to be dynamic and they're going to throw downfield. Well, we didn't see it the first two games, especially versus Army. So at this point, my power ratings just two weeks ago had Michigan a three-point favorite. Again, that's a six-point swing from my power ratings two weeks ago. With that said, I still have to mention that Michigan, the last time they won a game straight up as a dog was 2013. They are 0-13, their last 13 games in the role of an underdog. And listen, they haven't been big dogs. They've been two or three or four point dogs. Maybe an Ohio State game climbed up to a touchdown. But if you can't learn how to win as an underdog, that's a concern for me as well. So I so you, you agree with me that Michigan's the play here, or do you like the you said I agree with you, but then you kind no, of gave a bunch I, of reasons why you didn't. I, I, I think that I think that Wisconsin to me passes the eye test. And if I had to choose a side, I would choose Wisconsin, but I want no part of the game because of the swing in the line and because of the difference of just two weeks ago. And perhaps Harbaugh is being coy and not showing all of his offense. So I test and, you know, again, passing the eye test. Would I bet it? Absolutely not. If Michigan looks poor again this week, I'm not afraid to fade them, but I'm going to wait one more week to see if Harbaugh is being coy or just can't coach. Sure. I, I, I mean, and all of that makes perfect sense to me, but passing the eye test against South Florida and uh, for who did Wisconsin have week two, somebody, uh, somebody far worse than that even. It's not the same as facing Michigan. Uh, and the fact that Michigan was tested, and I love the fact that they beat Army. They were tested. They didn't prepare for Army. They weren't ready for that game, but they came out and gutted out a win. They're going to do that in Camp Randall this weekend. You'll see. <laughs> okay, let's keep it rolling here. I love disagreeing you, with you, uh, Ralph. It's fun. It's more fun than we argue. Texas A&M, minus three and a half, 48 against Auburn. And this is a really hard game for me, Ralph. It, it is. I think the number's too high. I don't think A&M should be laying more than a field goal here uh, between two even teams. And yet, this Auburn offense hasn't worked at all. And everyone's saying, oh, the quarterback Knicks, he can play, he can play. Malzahn's got his hand. Oh, the play calling's fine. No, it hasn't. You know, they haven't moved the football. A&M's defense is real. From a total standpoint, I'm like, oh, I would love to. I love these two defenses. Let's play some under. I can't play under this game. Both teams are going to push the pace. It could be 160 plays in this game. So side and total both, I'm a little bit scratching my head. you got to take on A&M and Auburn. I do. I like A&M. You know, the ATS darling over the past few years has been Fresno State. But, hey, this A&M team now is 16-4, and four, their last 20 games against the spread. This A&M team, as a home favorite, 7-0-2 against the spread. This A&M team with Jimbo Fisher now has a mentality that they're as good as any team. And yeah, Bo Nix got the win against Oregon. And yeah, Bo Nix got a win against Tulane the next week. But this Bo Nix is now starting his first true road game as a true freshman. He was only 13 of 32 against Oregon. He was only 19 of 37 against Tulane. I am on the Aggies. Worth noting, this has been a road team series and an underdog series mostly, but the road team has won straight up six times over the last seven years and has gone 6-0-1 oh, 
against the spread during that span. That includes multiple times where the road team was a double-digit underdog and won the game straight up. This has not been a good series for anyone who's been trying to lay points. The last time Georgia faced Notre Dame was back in 2017. I remember the game clearly. They had a play on the Bulldogs. They were plus five and a half by kickoff. Huh? That was then. This is now. Final score, 20 to 19. Uh, tight game throughout. Georgia got the money as underdogs. Not you know, I, a thousand I, years later. It's two years later, Ralph. Now Georgia's laying 14, total of 57 against the Fighting Irish. Do we expect another close game? Or is this a spot where Georgia's just going to keep on annihilating teams the way they've done in all three of their relatively easy uh, games so far this season? Yeah, you could say they've had three easy games, but I'll tell you what, Arkansas State's going to be a bowl team. Having to start your season at Vanderbilt, yeah, it's Vanderbilt, but you're playing the conference gate open. I am on Georgia. We talked about the AP thing in segment number one. I'm not on them because of that. I'm on them because I have them as one of the A, B, and C teams that are clearly the best in the country. You have the best running back or the second best running back in the country, DeAndre Swift. You got an offensive line that can control that can control uh, a much smaller Notre Dame line. The advantage from the O line to the Notre Dame D line is huge as far as height and weight is concerned. You have Fromm at quarterback, and I'm concerned about. Notre Dame, you gave them three sacks with a mobile quarterback against Louisville. You gave up a sack against New Mexico. This Georgia D-line may not be the elite level of Auburn or Bama, but I'll tell you what, they have 12 sacks already, and Georgia's best unit on the defense is their linebackers. And if I have a mobile quarterback like Ian Book, I want linebackers to be able to shut him down. All the edges for me point to Georgia. I have this game in the 35-10 to 10 range. Oh, wow. So. That's a strong opinion. Ralph clearly likes the Bulldogs. Let's do one more real quick before the break. Oregon, minus 11.5 now, total of 58.5 against Stanford. And it's very clear, Ralph, the markets have crashed on the Stanford Cardinal team with cluster injuries at the linebacking core and on the offensive line. Uh, Been happy to play against Stanford the last two weeks. Uh, One thing to keep note of, yes, Oregon has triple revenge in the series. But Stanford, 9-0 as a home dog. They know how to slow the pace. They know this opponent very well. I'm looking for a lower scoring game. Wouldn't surprise me at all. The Ducks have had all kinds of problems with the Cardinals in every recent meeting. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. And remember, if you want to listen live, download the iHeartRadio app, download the TuneIn app, and just search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, and you can listen to this program live. Also, if you want to watch the video of this podcast, check us out on YouTube, on Twitch, or on Periscope, and type in, you guessed it, Fantasy Sports Network. You'll find us there. Enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Wager Talk. Of course, I'm Teddy Covers, joined by Ralph Michaels every day, noon to one Pacific time, three to four on the East Coast. You can follow us live if you follow at SportsGrid on Twitter. Download the SportsGrid app. You can get whatever you want when it comes to on-demand programming. This show and many other fine 
quality shows from the Fantasy Network, from the Sports Grid Network. Download that Sports Grid app today and get all of that content live streamed, live streamed to your device. Let's do some live screaming, Ralph. The Packers, minus eight, 42 and a half against the Broncos. And look, Denver's one of those teams coming into the season. I'm grading out the Broncos personnel going, wow, they're not that good here. Ha, not that good there. Joe Flacco's not the answer. And my grading out of the Broncos personnel said, I want to bet this team under their win total. And then you go back and look at last year and you go, boy, the coach cost them this game. And the coach cost them. I mean, you can make a case. The coach cost them three games last year, Vance Joseph, and his questionable decision-making. And I'm like, I like Fangio. I like his attention to detail. I'm not going to get the bet the Broncos under their season win total. And two games into the season, I'm already kicking myself. Denver looks like garbage. And Green Bay is now laying eight, although seven and a half at a lot of spots. Total, 42 and a half. Packers and the Broncos. You know, this is one that I surprised myself, Teddy. I, you know, I was on Green Bay and uh, last week, and it was a game they got out, jumped out to a 21-0 lead, and then it was hold on the entire game as Minnesota kept shooting themselves in the foot, turning the ball over, making making decisions. You look at Denver the first two games, you talk about this 0-2 Broncos team, and they are plus 43 yards per game. You look at Green Bay, this 2-0 Packers team, they are minus 64 yards per game. Both teams played Chicago. Green Bay minus 41 yards, Denver plus 99 yards. Yes, Denver was at home. Yes, Green Bay was on the road. But while I thought I'd be liking the Packers coming into the week, the numbers just tell me that I am gonna have a no play on this game because of those stats. Uh, agree or disagree by looking at the stats after just two games? Well, so certainly when I look at the stats, and I do look at the stats in the NFL after only two games, the aggregate stats, because you want to get a sense of what the markets are reacting to. And one thing that stood out to me was Green Bay yards per play. So far this season, the Packers have a bottom quartile of the NFL offense. And those aren't the type of offenses I'm excited about laying more than a touchdown with. The Philadelphia yeah, we'll Eagle. What? You have something for me? I was gonna, we'll, we'll talk more about yards for play later to, when we're teaching out a handicap. But let me throw this to you, Teddy. The Philadelphia Eagles minus six and a half, 46 and a half against Detroit. We talked about the Eagles and their cluster of injuries in wide receivers. And guys, listen, when you're handicapping the NFL, losing one starter doesn't make that much of a difference for the most part. When you lose multiple starters or, like you said, a cluster of injuries in the same position, that's something you certainly have to take note of. Where are you on the Eagles and the Lions, Teddy? Yeah, and uh, that's a great point, Ralph. You talk about it's not one injury, and one injury matters. But when you get a cluster of injuries, a cluster of injuries on the offensive line is devastating. You know, uh, (laughs) it can be really devastating. We'll talk about that in one of the games we have uh, coming up when you have cluster injuries in the secondary and you know, your top cover corners back and a couple of safeties are hurt and the nickel guy is banged up. That has a far more of an impact than just one guy being down. And this is the Eagles. Again, we, they're not going to have Jackson. They're not likely to have Jeffrey and Wentz hasn't looked smooth yet. I mean, Philly's offense to me is not, this isn't plug and play for Philadelphia. 
So I can understand why the money's coming against Detroit, or coming against the Eagles on Detroit. But I'm not excited about the Lions. And look, you're going to see all kinds of stats this week about uh, Matthew Stafford's record against the teams that finish with a winning record or have a winning record, or Matt Stafford on the road against teams with a winning record. And they're all incredibly ugly. And I never went back in my database and checked them all uh, <laughs> to make sure they're right. But this much we know. Matthew Stafford has not performed well against good teams, especially on the road. And that's not one year. That's not two years. That's for his entire career. I'm not excited about taking the Lions at less than a field goal here. I could only take Philly. And I like the concept of Philly coming off a loss a lot more than I like the concept of Detroit coming off a win. Eagles are passed for this better. And as the number goes down, I become more interested in the Philadelphia side. I wasn't going to lay a touchdown with them. If I see a five and a half with the Eagles, I might well get to the window. Well, you know what? Uh, people in Baltimore are excited. And, yeah, you could say that the Baltimore Ravens have almost 1,100 yards after two games. Or you could say the Baltimore Ravens have played the historically bad Miami Dolphins and one of the worst teams last year, the worst team in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. Which of those is more correct as Baltimore travels to Kansas City? The Chiefs, minus six and a half. 54. Oh, yeah, by the way, the only loss for Lamar Jackson in the regular season was last year in Arrowhead. I think that does give him an edge, having played at Arrowhead at the end of last season. Sure. I think, yeah, this was 27-24 last year. It wasn't any kind of blowout. This was a tight game between two fairly evenly matched teams. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see another tight game this time around. I am rooting. I'm. I'm very unlikely to play this game. I'm not. I'm not going to play side. Not going to play total. Look at the Ravens with a total of 54. That's not a number we see very often, uh, Ralph. On Baltimore, uh, you know, we're used to seeing the Ravens with totals in the low 40s. Not this year, and not in this matchup. I will be rooting heavily in this game. I'm rooting for Baltimore. I want them to hang. I want them to win. Because I believe that there will be good money to be made fading the Ravens down the line. I do not believe in their stats. Their stats are insane. You look through the first two weeks, and they have the best stats in the NFL. This offense is explosive, and the defense is shutting everyone down. And we remember that now. But three weeks from now, no one's going to look at the Ravens' stat base and say, wow, it's really out of whack because of the two first opponents they played. And they didn't even blow out Arizona last week. You know, it wasn't pretty. For Baltimore, if Arizona's not settled for field goals in the inside the five-yard line, it might well have won the game, and we'd be looking at a very different point spread here. So I will be rooting for the Ravens. I want them to win. I want them to look good because I'm not believing in Baltimore. I'm not buying Lamar Jackson's all that. I'm not buying the Ravens' defenses as good as they've looked. I'm not buying anything about what we've seen in Baltimore the first two weeks of the season. This will be a bet against team. And it might be this week, but my hunch is they'll give them a game. And if they do, we'll get ample value betting against the Ravens moving forward. Uh, I got an under Ravens, I believe it's eight uh, season win tickets in my pocket. And I think I'm going to cash that ticket, even though statistically Baltimore has looked remarkably impressive for the first two weeks of the season. Well, the Bills did something very unique as well. They opened up this season back-to-back home games in the same stadium only the second time in the last eight years that has happened. Well, Buffalo has made the point. They are the best team in the state of New York, having beaten the Jets and the Giants. We now have a 2-0 team hosting an 0-2 team. 
do you trust Josh Allen as a favorite as the Bills, now a six-point favorite, a total of 44? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very different role for Buffalo this week compared to what we saw in the last two weeks. Last two weeks, they're dogs or pick them. You know, now they're laying and they got to win by a touchdown or more in order to cash the ticket. So I had an interesting debate uh, with a couple of wise guy friends of mine yesterday about this very game. We're talking about it. And the question was, we're all, we're all looking to do the same thing right now. Buy low, sell high. Is this a spot where you're buying low on the Bengals? Or is Buffalo actually good and Cincinnati actually stinks and you're buying low with Buffalo in this spot at minus six. You know, the gut reaction is, well, the Bills, they got the two wins, but, you know, we don't trust Buffalo as favorites and the change of roles. And, uh, you know, what's this team? And since he's coming off a bad game and we know how they outgained Seattle and outplayed him in week one. And, and you know, you can buy, buy low on the Bengals here. And I'm sitting there going, no, the Bengals stink and the Bills are good. And I think after two weeks, I'm more convinced of those two facts. Buffalo's defense is real since his defense isn't. Since these offenses hit or miss, and so is, uh, the Bills are comparable in that regard. But one team is a D, one doesn't. You can lay a touchdown in those spots, can't you? So interesting debate, Bills and Bengals. Are you buying low with Buffalo now? Is this line going to look ridiculous? When you go back in December and you go, wow, this line should have been 13. The Bills are 11 and 5 and the Bengals are 5 and 11. Or is this one of these games where, no, the, you know, the the Bills are going to be 8-8, eight and eight, the Bengals are going to be 6-10, and 10, and that's just how it is, and it's not a, a huge differential between these two squads. My gut reaction is Buffalo's good, and since he's bad, and the price is cheap, but uh, that's just a gut. I haven't bet the Bills yet, and I don't know that I will. You know, Teddy, one point I want to add to that, and we don't talk about coaching enough in the NFL. Sean McDermott, being in his third season here, I think gives the Bills the stability you need you talked about it. We talked about it on a previous show. Catching a team in a role that they're going to improve on. We talked about the Browns going on the road, winning as an away favorite. I think with McDermott in his third season, with the personnel he has, with the with the limited turnover in personnel that came between seasons two and three, facing a first-year head coach trying to make his adjustments on the fly, I think the Bills is a spot where you can lay it here this week. Switching gears now, this is a game we talked about earlier with the Colts and the Falcons. The Colts, a two-point favorite, a total of 47. Uh, can Matt Ryan lead the Falcons? Or can get, or do people forget about luck already because Jacoby Brissett is the real deal? I mean, Brissett's not the real deal. He's no Andrew Luck. Brissett's been okay. And that's what Andy needs. When you grade out the Colts personnel, that offensive line is strong. Marlon Mack's a beast running the football. They have playmakers at wide receiver. The defense has been spot on from day one this year. was last year, too. And he's pretty good. Uh, and Brissett is okay. And we've seen that. He's not woeful. He's not atrocious. But he's not Andrew Luck. He's not going to be Andrew Luck. Um, that's just how it is for Indy this year. They look like an 8-8, eight 9-7, eight, you know, maybe a 10-6 and six, uh, type of team, not a team where the bottom's going to fall out after their quarterback got hurt. I got my concerns about Atlanta, Ralph. I really do. Again, the Falcons got the win uh, on uh, Sunday night. It wasn't pretty. They weren't very good. They didn't clean up a lot of the mistakes they made uh, in week one. And they got the win because they had the right play call against the Blitz. 
you know, and it was well executed and Jones made a play. But even after that, the defense barely got a stop at the end. Uh, I'm not sold on the Falcons. I think Indy is priced relatively cheaply in this one. I think we got time for one more before the break. We do. And let's talk about Minnesota. We talked about their home favorite record already. You know, Derek Carr in the new offense, 70% passing, but a 2-2 ratio. Uh, first dome game, is that a concern of yours? That's always a concern. I mean, the the, the Raiders, <coughs> excuse me, but the Raiders are a team that we tend to be concerned about because they have more concerns than the average team. They have secondary issues. It's a West Coast team traveling East. There are a lot of problems for Oakland on the defensive side of the football right now. And we've seen it in each of the first two weeks, which is bad news against a Vikings team that really, they've got something to prove this week. You know, Minnesota, embarrassed in some ways last week. They did not get, their execution level was bottom tier and it really cost them. Now they're likely to be focused. They've been great home favorites. Do we trust Gruden in this early start game? No. All that being said, you're laying a premium to get involved with Minnesota here. The Oakland Raiders last week were better than the final score indicated in the game against Kansas City and that may lead some value on the Minnesota side, on the Oakland side here, I should say. We'll be right back on week. From the NFL to the NBA, DailyRoto.com is the place to win millions in daily fantasy. You can get the best DFS NFL coverage all season long for a price of $129.99 or dominate the entire daily fantasy sports realm with the Elite Package at $59.99 per month. If you use the promo code FNTSY, you get 10% off your DailyRoto Package. Go to DailyRoto.com, pick your NFL or Elite Package, enter promo code FNTSY, and you'll be on your way to becoming the next Daily Roto Millionaire. Here in the home stretch at Wager Talk, Teddy Covers and Ralph Michelson. I want to talk about reading material, Ralph. That's what I want to do right here. And uh, there's a lot of books that you can read that'll help you with wagering in terms of understanding how your brain works when you're making decisions like this, understanding the biases that you have inherently in some of your decision making process. Certainly, snap judgment stands out, thinking fast and slow uh, stands out. But the one I want to talk about today is a book called Fooled by Randomness. The author, Nassim Taleb, uh, Taleb, he also wrote a book called The Black Swan. They're both worth reading. But the takeaway, one of my big takeaways from Fooled by Randomness is basically this. If you look for patterns, you will find them. That does not establish that those patterns are meaningful. And Ralph, as a database guy, you're finding patterns all the time when it comes to football, betting angles, and trends. The question I want to ask you is, how can you tell when an angle is meaningful and how can you tell if it's just, uh, Talib calls it noise, you know, white noise, where it's just static and you're going to find something, you're always going to find something. How do you assess the meaningfulness of the trends and angles that you find? Well, let me, let me preface this by saying, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I probably tweet out 10 systems or angles or interesting numbers that have a very wild record. Well, number one, I'm cutting them off at a certain point, which has a better record. 
Number two, I'm cutting parameters so they have a better record. So I am specifically data mining to find the best record there. I think you need to be very vague when you're looking at angles. A home favorite with the same coach is something, yes, that's something you look at. Other, you know, secondly, angles are for a specific team. Systems are for a certain situation that are league-wide. No question, systems are multiple times more strong, stronger than a team angle. Back to you, Teddy, for the last word. Sure, and again, uh, the book we're talking about, Fooled by Randomness, Nassim Tlaib. He also wrote The Black Swan. They are both worth reading for any better, and they have nothing to do with sports betting. This show has a ton to do with sports betting. We'll be back doing it again tomorrow right here on the Sports Grid Fantasy Network. We'll be back. Stay tuned after these brief messages.